welcome to another episode of Pagan Spirituality. Today I'm your host, Kaveldrida. In a moment I will be joined by two guests for today's topic, but I wanted to update you on a number of things first. Today is February the 7th, 2010. It's a Sunday. This is my first show of the 2010 calendar year. I had intended to return to shows much sooner, but life got a bit in the way. Now I am back. Just for those of you in the Washington State, Northern Oregon area, I'm going to be holding a meet and greet with me and Oni on Saturday, February the 20th, at a place called the Spar Cafe, S-P-A-R Cafe, in Olympia, Washington. They are at 114 4th Avenue East, between Capitol Way North and Washington Street Northeast. Their number is 360-357-6444. We will meet there at 2 o'clock that Saturday afternoon. I will be wearing a black hat with a red band. I'm a tall and somewhat portly individual. I'm going to have pictures up of me on the Facebook page, of course. They're already there, and I will try to post one on the Podbean page in case you are not a Facebook member, so you'll recognize me, but try to be there right at 2 or a little before. I have a number of people that have already stated they're coming. There's definitely room for more. I hope to see anyone interested in coming out and having a conversation with Oni and I. And as always, you can email me at paganspiritualitytoday at comcast, C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net. You can hear this show at iTunes, Podcast Pickle, Podcast Alley, Proud Pagan Podcasters, and of course at Podbean, where the show is hosted. The conversation you're about to hear took place about six weeks ago. The information hasn't changed. It's a good conversation. I hope you're going to enjoy it. But there is no formal goodbye. It will just go into the closing music. Other than that, I just wanted to say I'm glad to be back. And uh, thanks to everyone for sticking with the show over the short break this winter. And now here's that conversation. Thanks for listening. So today I wanted to talk about what I'm going to call spiritual sight or the process of psychic seeing. But I didn't want to do that topic by myself, so I brought in with me Oni again. Hello everyone. And another surprise guest, Ivaldi, out from the wilds of Utah, has returned to Washington. He's with us today. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Psychic or spiritual sight, what is it? Well, I'm going to define it my own way. This is a very simple definition. The process of using psychic senses to, quote, see or, quote, hear spirits, guides, gods, anything within that spiritual realm. Before we go into how you do that, how do you learn to do it, there's some basics you need to know, and maybe some of you haven't heard about before. There is something called the chakra system. The word chakra comes from the Sanskrit language, which is an ancient Indian language, and translates to either wheel or turning. This system was first written of in the Indian text, the Upanishads, 
between 1200 and 500 BCE, that's before Common Era, the concept is that there are seven major force centers located in the auric or etheric body. It's the energy body overlaying the physical. And they are located along the spine from the top of the head to the basis of the spine. There are related concepts in West African belief. In the Yoruba theology, there is a concept called the Iwaju-ori, which means the source of spiritual power located at the forehead. In the Yoruba, the Iwaju-ori is the source of divine inspiration and character development like the third eye. Third eye is the chakra placed in the forehead of the body. This is the place on the body that connects the human to the spirit of the divine and the diviner, providing both mystical and clairvoyant vision. In some forms of Buddhism, the third eye is the source of clairvoyant vision, which is defined as the ability to view future events. The chakra system is one way of putting this idea of energistic force centers in the body, but it's not the only way. We see that Buddhism, West Africa, as well as the Hindus and other cultures share this idea that there are force centers throughout the body. It is these force centers that we use for psychic skills, psychic sensing, psychic development. Although I imagine there are a number of books out there that talk about a process, how to develop this skill, how to use it, I'm only going to recommend two. They will be in the show notes. One is by Ted Andrews. It's called How to Meet and Work with Spirit Guides. Mr. Andrews is more of an occultist and a New Ager than he is a pagan. He has a long and complicated concept of multiple etheric and spiritual bodies overlaying the physical. You can kind of skip the introduction and go right to the meat of the matter if you want to. The other book I want to recommend is by Rodney Davies. It's called Psychic Development Workbook, How to Awaken and Use Your ESP. That book is a much more straightforward, here's how you do things and here's the results you might expect. In addition to those books, I would like to recommend Practical Intuition by Laura Day. It has steps that you can do if you're not familiar with using your intuition, and even if you are, it has good lessons to improve upon your skills. I wanted to mention the book Practical Intuition by Laura Day. Okay, so that's some background information on chakras and psychic seeing as a concept. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty. I'm going to throw it over to Avaldi here to talk about the process. How is it done? How did we learn it? Thanks, Kvelderda. When I think back on that time when I was learning how to do these things, um, I, one of the things that I was taught to do, uh, and I think it's particularly valuable for anyone out there who's listening who doesn't have much experience with this the idea of chakras or power centers in the body. One of the things you can do is take your hands and lay them flat together and rub them together very quickly until they start to get warm. And when you do that, take your hands apart and take one of your index fingers and point it at the palm of the other hand. And you can kind of feel, uh, it's difficult to put words to, but you can kind of feel energy emanating from the center of your palm or going into the center of your palm. And that's 
one of the chakra centers in your body is in the palm of your hand. If you do that and try that out, you might get a sense of where we're beginning with this because you eventually will have the same sensation in the center of your forehead where your third eye is. Another thing that we uh, did was uh, either take your finger or a crystal or some other object uh, similar to that and you can point that at the center of your forehead to, to try to bring yourself into consciousness of the feeling of that chakra and also to to sort of enliven it and uh, bring energy into it in order to make it more useful or active as a as a part of your body of your spiritual body and using that crystal it's like you are becoming consciously aware that there is a sensation in your forehead or any of the other chakras that you are attuning or adjusting it brings a conscious awareness of it so when you're trying to have a sensation in the third eye which we'll go into a into a second about how you're projecting energy to see first you have to feel something in that forehead to to know that you're able to project or that you're not projecting right that's correct yes i mean it's just like uh we all have certain levels of body consciousness you know i i, I kind of think about uh, ballroom dancers and they they have the innate ability to move their bodies in ways that i'm not sure that i am capable of doing just because i'm not conscious of my body in in those ways so if you think about it in those terms yes you're using a part of your body that you're not used to or it might, might not have even been aware of up until now so that's that's why we kind of need to start with basics and and try to educate ourselves as to what we're actually doing here right and one more thing on the basics and the education that comes beforehand if you've never meditated or you've always had a tremendous problem clearing your mind even remotely this will be a difficult process because it is about concentration and it is about focus. It does not mean you can't do it. It does not mean it's impossible for you. But the more you meditate, the more you learn concentration and to reduce distraction, the easier the physical process we're about to describe will be for you. So once you have uh, developed to some degree... Uh, a consciousness of that third eye the idea is that you're projecting a beam from your head from that chakra and you can think of it almost like a feeler or an antenna like an insect and through the course of practicing these things you you will get to the point where that will almost be like a laser and you can point that in certain things whether it's physical objects or spiritual beings or spiritual objects and gain some sense of understanding or uh, comprehension as to the nature of those things we think that the process of seeing a spirit and the process of seeing an aura are essentially the same it is what you're doing with it or how you're using it that makes it differ there's some people that automatically see auras without thinking about it and I don't know their process because they can't explain it right. but a learned process tends to be the same between seeing auras seeing residual energy and seeing living spirits in some ways it's like having a filter or like a different sort of lens and the third eye is a good moniker because you have two eyes and you see the physical plane but this third eye sees the underlying or the plane that is just behind the physical where perhaps you're sitting on a couch with your friends like we're doing here 
and a spirit is standing next to the couch, your two eyes, your living eyes, as it were, may not see that spirit, but if your third eye is active, regularly active, you're seeing the couch, the people, the room, and that level on which the spirit resides all at one time. This takes a lot of practice, but it's definitely doable. Absolutely. Some children are able to sense these things, whether with their third eye or just their intuition. And over the course of time living in our modern society, they lose contact with that particular aspect of their sensing ability. So for some people, it, it might just be reawakening that part of them. Um, a very small fraction of people never lost it, and then maybe another proportion of this of society never had it to begin with. So some people out there will have varying levels of challenge in trying to awaken this in themselves. Actually, I have a story that relates directly to that that I'm going to tell just a little bit later about someone who reawakened the ability to see, who had had it as a child, who had blocked it out, and then pow, back it came. But, Oni, I think you were going to say something. Well, I was thinking that with children, and you think about how they'll say, like, that we're our, quote, imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That children have an openness no one's told them that, well, you can't do that until people start saying you can't do that. Or you shouldn't. Or you shouldn't do that. As I had mentioned in my spirits episode and my shamanism episode, I talked to, quote, imaginary people all the time until a certain age when I was finally convinced that it was socially unacceptable to do that. So back to the idea of the actual physical process, how we go about doing that. Uh, Valdi? Well, I like to think of it in the beginning as sort of the difference between a spotlight and a floodlight. You know, you can use this beam in either one of those situations. You know, if you're trying to sense through a room, if there's some sort of presence there, you know, you, you can use it sort of like a floodlight and just gain some basic information as to what's really there. Or if you really want to identify something, you can hone that beam down, beam down into a laser and really try to dig into what you're doing and find out some specific information. That brings up another aspect of this. Did you want to talk about that, Oni, about um, etiquette? and? Yeah, that when you're looking at someone with your third eye, that it can be a little bit rude to be staring at people way back in Kveldredat and I's relationship. We had gone to an event and this person who had known me with my first husband was giving us the psychic third eye stare where you feel like you're being watched, um, oppressed a little bit. Invaded. Invaded. Yeah, your aura is being invaded. Like they're touching your aura yeah. and trying to push into your aura. And it was very rude and very annoying. The first few I brushed away because you can use your shields to block someone's looking at you and brushed it away again and he did it again and it was getting to the point where I was feeling like I was under attack and this was not acceptable to me so then when he did it another time and he was more forceful with trying to like get information that I forcefully pushed my energy out and I psychically slapped him because it was rude and it shouldn't have happened. And there was a response. He looked away immediately like somebody had pushed his face 
And I think he was unaware at the time that we were aware he was doing it. He had been used to other people not knowing he was probing them, which, by the way, seeing is external. But if you're trying to get into something's aura or into something's spirit body, you are probing the person. And this is what he was trying to do. He started yeah. with seeing, and then he was trying to probe into our aura and find out things he could not know by just looking at us. Or by simply coming over and saying hello and asking. Right, and he was being very aggressive. And that's the etiquette part. Just because you can do these things and most people will not be aware of it does not make it a good thing to go around doing. doesn't make it acceptable. I think of it as an invasion of someone's privacy. Absolutely. The only time it's, I think it's acceptable to, quote, probe someone or that sort of thing is if you have their permission. And maybe you're doing healing work or something right, or and you're trying work. to look at a chakra, find out what's going on in there. You need to get down in there and really look around. But then you ask the person. Right, say, right. I had two similar situations that happened to me early on as well. I think one one time in 1998 or 99 when I was in Virginia, uh, we were in a bookstore. And a similar situation, that individual was trying to probe me. And again, three or four years after that in Sedona, Arizona, had a similar situation. I guess I, I guess I kind of think of it like... A computer hacker somebody that has knowledge and ability to take advantage of someone else their their information or their personal life they're using that ability uh, to the detriment some detriment of someone else and and usually in the case of a computer hacker they're probing for information the victim never knows that it's happening much like with these individuals they're using their ability to see or hear to basically exercise their influence over someone and gain some information and that person more than likely would never know any different so you know i guess that's that's what we're really talking about here is just because you have this ability does not negate your ethical and moral responsibility to be a good person and that's something you really need to be conscious of actually we feel like it increases your responsibility to be a good person as you have more power more availability of spiritual knowledge, psychic knowledge, magical knowledge, you need to work harder to be an ethical person because you have ways of harming others or disturbing others or causing problems for others that they can never track to you. They will never know you've done. And so the only moral enforcement you have is yourself and your concept of God or your spirit friends. When I lived in... Virginia, I knew a man who enjoyed leaving like little psychic dirt balls places, like basically leaving like little dirty energy balls of, or of little bits of negativity around just because it was an intentional thing. So I was like, why are you doing that? He's like, well, I find it fun. He took pleasure in other people's pain. It's that or... antisocial, I can do things no one can ever blame me for. I will right. act out my negative impulses. But since we were talking about that, sensing. We've been talking some about how sensing and seeing are basically related in such a strong way and that they work in tandem because we're talking about seeing other people and getting information from them or sensing that a spirit might be in a room mm -hmm. so you look to see if you can, quote, see the spirit. And it, it works on the other side. If someone is looking at you 
You have to learn to sense your own aura, your own energy, to know that they're looking at you or if someone's trying to probe you, trying to get in and get your information, get something about you, you need to be able to sense your own body, both physical and metaphysical. So those two things work very closely together and are developed in similar ways, although you are not sending a beam out of your third eye to sense your auric body. You are clearing the mind, you are concentrating on that energistic level of yourself, and you're learning to sense, in the same way we're telling you to learn to sense your third eye, the forehead chakras, you do the same thing with your whole body. You learn to sense contact anywhere on your body, and we're going to go into that sensing topic probably on a development show, a psychic skills show other than this one, because there's a whole range of stuff we can talk about in related relation to that topic as well. Well, I think that sometimes, too, it the two of them end up blending together. At least for me, I found that seeing and sensing just sort of comes all together. It's like a package deal. Like a package deal, where I can see something or I can sense it, but as far as once it gets to my brain for discernment, it all sort of blends together. You don't have a hard and fast line. It's right. just information coming in. And that's the next thing we're going to talk about. The ways people see and the differences in their perception of their seeing, their sensing, their hearing, whatever that is. So, Oni, you were just talking about how you don't have a line between sensing and seeing. It's all information coming at you. Yes. When I first started to psychically see things it was very clear like I am seeing this and then when I was working on that and also working on improving my sensing of things it's like the two started to be intertwined mm -hmm. I guess it's hard for me to describe because it just sort of blends together and it's like I'm seeing sensing sometimes hearing things too, but it's a lot of information coming in at and, once. And accessing your intuition at the same time. Right. Checking your gut for a response. Good, bad, dangerous, safe, friendly, not friendly. It's like all of those things are happening at once now. Yes. Something I wanted to mention about the sensing topic. The way Oni said that she sees and she feels. There's a lot of disagreement about how the sensing takes place. Some people feel that you expand your aura concentrically around your body to fill a space and you are, quote, sensing that space. Some people can sense in a spotlight or in a floodlight. They can sense directionally, you know, or only in a small area. My sensing tends to be like a bubble around me all the time. It's just a three-dimensional... Think of it as Doppler radar. You've seen that on TV, and it's looking at the clouds above and below and all the way around. My sensing operates that way. I can focus it as a floodlight with concentration, but generally I've developed it to be a 360-degree sphere of awareness. And I think yours works essentially like that most of the yeah. time. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and this just kind of came to me, is that the way the information comes in is different for people too because I knew someone that could not really see but he would get say hot or cold or prickly or tingly like specific physical, physical tactile, tactile information. Mm -hmm. 
Although he did not have visual information. Right. If it was tingly, that that would mean this to him. If it was cold, it would mean that's not so Right. Good. He had his own language of symbols right. that he had to learn over time to understand what these sensations meant. Yes. So, Evaldi, what, what do you feel about all that? Well, I, I, I think that's a good point. It actually brings up something I wanted to share. Um, when I first started to try to learn to see and hear... It was difficult. You know, I, I had the Ted Enders book. I had the Psychic Development Workbook. But the conundrum was, how do you know you're being successful if you don't know how to see and you don't know how to hear? What's your gauge of success and how are you developing these essentially non-existent senses? I don't ever have any recollection as a child of, of being accessed to those kinds of information. I don't remember having invisible friends. Or, and I, I've never naturally been able to see spirits or ghosts or anything like that so i was kind of coming in blind i i did believe that i had a spirit guide at the time which uh he's still with me but i how do you communicate with someone and, and gain information from them if, if you can't hear them and you can't see them so what i tried to use was one of my other senses i tried to use my sense of smell uh and i'll read this uh just as a, an example of my early perspective. This was actually from March 19th, 1998, so it's over 10 years ago. And it goes like this. We purchased some fragrance oils today as recommended by Ted Andrews. I believe I saw an aura on the medicine bag and smudge stick hanging in my wife's room. It was very bright at times, similar to what I saw at Pine Creek when I actually had seen some auras on a tree and a mountain. Uh, we also got some quartz crystals, hematite, and turquoise. Um, it's inter it's interesting for me to read that just to gain a glimpse of myself 10 years ago. Um, but it reminded me that at that time I was trying to communicate with my spirit guide and not knowing how to do that. So I bought some lemon oil and I put that on the other side of the room and I would try to see this spirit in the room. And I asked him you know, to basically clue me in when I was doing a good job by letting me smell that lemon oil. So it was kind of a another tactile way of understanding my own progress. So, you know, times when I was actually seeing him or getting some sense of him, I would actually smell that oil. Um, and for me, that was enough of a step up to gain some basic skill levels that have allowed me to progress where I am today. And I'm, I'll agree with you. I, I'm kind of the same way, too. I don't... I don't generally just walk around with a beam coming out of my forehead looking at things. I, I rely, too, on a sphere of sensation around my body. And only, only if I really need to do I use that, sh that chakra now to gain specific information. I, I find that in daily life, when I do need to be mindful of my spiritual surroundings or of even of peop physical people, it's easier to rely on my t intuition all of the time and on my spiritual body all of the time just to clue me in when there's an issue that needs my attention and then I'll switch on the third eye chakra and try to get something more valuable as far as information goes I think it's a process that you learn how to see but it becomes something you use less often it's situational if you went to the grocery store and were psychically looking at every person in the store and every shelf and whatnot you would be exhausted and have a migraine from hell that you would never recover from. Even when 
you are good at this process, even when this process seems effortless, it's not effortless to maintain moment after moment, hour after hour, where sensing, like Oni was speaking of, a general awareness is effortless to maintain hour after hour, day after day. But the development of these processes is so closely entwined that for some people it will be hard to have one without the other. For some people they will be so much stronger in one than the other, they may develop separately. But it seems that for most people they don't develop separately. Eventually they become on a parallel track. The thing that I have to remember though is that because I feel like I'm extra sensitive is that I feel I have to have more of a buffer or filter between me and the other stuff that people carry around. Energies. Emotional, emotional things emotional that are stuff. attached to their spirit body. Some people have got spiritual entities that follow them around. And the reason I say that I, I need to have like a buffer or a more of a filter is that there can be an information overload or it can be just too much or overwhelming. And it's a matter of finding that balance between what's a manageable amount of information and what's not. Right, and that's, again, going to be personal difference. And I want to go back a little bit to the, to the differences in perception because I don't feel like we gave that quite enough airing yet. Oni has made her perceptual issues clear, good, bad, whatever. Um, and I've talked a little bit about it, but just to give you a broader sense of the types of perception, we have known people who see as if they had 20-20 vision, but sense nothing. And as Oni said, we've met people who sense a ton of stuff and see nothing. Most people are not at the all or nothing ends of the spectrum. Most people have a very interesting, unique mix. A little bit of hearing, a little bit of seeing, but they're good at discerning evil intent versus friendly intent, or they're really good at discerning this is a ghost, this is a spirit guide, this is a being from another plane. It can be anything. There is the very wide world of differences that goes on between one person and another. I knew someone who saw fairly well, but only in black and white. Literally, their spiritual sight was always black and white. Where mine is technicolor. Mine is bright, vivid HD TV, and it always has been. Initially, I thought that person had something wrong with their sight, but it was simply the way in which they perceived. Shades of gray and variation held information for them in the way that color holds information for me. Any other thoughts on differences in perception? With smells, there are some spirits where you may not see them or hear them or sense them, but you will smell them. Right. Like good smells, like say orange or perfume or roses. Tobacco. Absolutely. So I'm going to go back a little bit. We're going to talk about some exercises and ways of developing this in the physical sense. Avaldi had alluded to the idea that he was using smells as a confirmation device. A lot of what I talk about is a buddy system in my psychic development stuff because during this period of time in my life I had a buddy, so it was convenient. And for those of you who do, I'm going to suggest something called the box game. You need at least one friend to help you with this. 
The idea of the box game is you get a number of physical objects made of different materials. A rock, a stick, a piece of worked metal like a ring or a brooch or something that will naturally have human aura on it and its own metal characteristics. And maybe something like an animal tooth or a feather. Most pagans have some form of animal part laying around the house have something natural where it has not been really worked too worked much too much right or it just is on its own a chair leg doesn't work as well as a stick from a tree outside your house now all these things have to be small and you need to get a box like a shoe box a wooden box not a metal box okay not a crystal box paper wood something relatively easy shoe box is perfect everybody's got a shoe box laying around Take your four items, separate them by at least a foot. With your eyes open, look at one physical object, close your eyes, imagine that beam coming out of your third eye. Remember, the world is three-dimensional, and so your beam must be two. Move it slowly down, maybe place your hand next to the object on the floor so you have a sense of what the depth is but not too close. You don't want the aura of your hand affecting the object. Try to touch the physical object with your aura beam and you're just trying to sense what a stone feel like. What does it look like? What does a stick look like psychically? You want to do this a couple of times. Then you have your friend put one of those objects in the box. Now you want to be able to tell, can I feel or sense or see wood inside the box? Or is it stone inside the box? Whatever it is. First and probably only warning on this seeing topic. Do not do this for more than 20 minutes at a time, maybe 10 minutes at a time. It will depend on your own capacity initially, but you will get a killer headache from seeing work. I would probably say even keep it down to maybe like two or three minutes, maybe no more than five when you first start. If the whole process takes 20 minutes, you're actively trying to see for four minutes or two minutes. The rest of it is moving things around in the box or discussing what you saw or taking notes. A rock seemed reddish and felt X, Y, or Z. Do that a couple of times, then switch with your other partner, have them look at the different things, then put an object in the box. Over the course of time, weeks or months, increase the difficulty by putting two objects in the box and hiding the other two. First, guess which two are in there, then guess by position. The stone is on the right, the stick is on the left. This is how I learned to do this more than actually trying to see spirits. I worked on physical stuff regularly so that when I got to the spiritual stuff, I already had some basis to go on. An object might look like this. It might feel like that. And then in moving on to seeing my spirit guides was an easier process than for me if I had gone straight to spirit guides without a sense of the physical first. But you folks may feel differently. You might go right to the spiritual and that works better. Try both ways out. The other thing you can do, and this is what I did with our cat, Gabby, when she was alive, was I would look at her and see what she looked like. And 
Sometimes pets or, sense that and they don't like it and they wander off. But yes, it's another living being. If there's no other human in the house, you can certainly look at an animal or parts of the animal. That works too. So once you've gotten to a point where you feel you want to start looking at spiritual beings, as Ivaldi said, start with your spirit guides. They're trustworthy, they're always present, and they're willing to help. They're going to try to aid you. It's their job to help you develop the things you need in life. So, you can't hear. You can't see. What do you do? You sit down, you calm yourself in a meditative state, and you say, Spirit guide, one or several, whoever is present, I am asking you to sit in the blue chair to my left. And then look at that blue chair for 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Say, spirit guide, please come out of the blue chair. Look at the blue chair again, where theoretically the guide has moved. Did you notice a difference between those things? You can ask them to participate because you can't hear them getting up or not getting up or saying yes or no, right? So assume they're complying and do comparative looks. If you ask them to stand in one place, then look in the place after they've left. How does it look different? What do you notice? This is a long process, but it's a simple step-by-step -step process that all of you can do. And I think it's also a matter of when you're in that quiet place, you have to be able to be open to your intuition because I think that helps a lot when you're going down that road. You have to have faith in yourself. Doubt is natural. Doubt will happen. But you must take that doubt and say, I hear you. Now please shut up and get in the back room. I'm working here. If it's raging in your head and screaming, this is nonsense and it's not real, you have to work a little more on your concentration skills because that will make it impossible for you to see because all you'll hear is your own doubt. When you're first starting, your intuition can be very quiet and it's like a little whisper in your ear. It's a mouse whispering across the street. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think that was my biggest hurdle too starting out was historically I've always been a very cerebral person and not in touch with my intuition at all. So I didn't have that as a guideline um, for feeling good or not feeling good about a situation. It was just more of a logical process for me. I, I didn't have any way to gauge what I was seeing or thought I was seeing was real. So fortunately, that's something that's changed over time, and I feel I'm a lot more in touch with that. Uh, but like I said, for some of you, you might have that same hurdle. And, and that's where I, why I tried to rely on the fragrance idea a little bit more, because I needed some kind of empirical evidence to train myself that I was actually succeeding at what I was trying to do. So we're going to go briefly into some personal stories or experiences with learning to see. Evaldi has already mentioned something, and Oni has. I wanted to bring up this girl I met once that I knew for a couple of years. We worked in the same place when I lived in Germany. Her name was Tina. And she was one of those people that saw as a child, saw vividly, completely. And I didn't know this at the time. I had just learned to see maybe six months before. And I was trying to get her interested in paganism. And she came over one day and Steve, my teacher, and I showed her the process. We said, well, you do this and you do that. And I'd worked very hard at seeing and I thought I was getting fairly good at it. 
literally in the span of about six minutes, she saw in what seemed to me to be 2020 living color. Instantly. Every spirit I was aware of in the local area, every aura I had recognized on an object in the room, she had. She saw everything. And she flipped out. She like ran out of the room and went to a phone on the wall. We didn't have cell phones then and called her friend and said, oh my God, I don't know what they've done to me. I'm seeing shit everywhere. And started crying and hung up the phone and this other woman drove from the other base, a 25 minute drive at like 90 miles an hour because she thought woman two thought we were about to sacrifice woman one or something. I don't know what was said between them. But the second woman shows up, bangs on the door, boom, boom, boom. What are you doing in there? And we live in a dorm. There's people everywhere. But she thought some horrible satanic something was happening. And when woman one, Tina, had returned to the room, she wouldn't talk. She just sat there. And she was all teary-eyed. And I said, so what do you, you know, how do you feel? What are you seeing? I mean, you're seeing better than I am. I feel so jealous. I'm so perturbed by this. And she's like... I was like, what is wrong with you? And woman two showed up and I demand to know what you're doing in here and what have you done to her? And it so disturbed her. It was so real and so vivid to her that she sat in the Papasan chair. We had one of those round bowl wicker chairs with a cushion in it. She sat in that chair for 10 minutes, not speaking, all clenched up, kind of like she was having a childhood tantrum or something, but not saying anything. And she turned it off right then. She stopped the sight that day. She saw for all of a half an hour, totally wigged out, and sat there angry and afraid until she shut it back off again. And we never talked about it again. She continued on with other occult skills and stuff and considered becoming a pagan. But she was not having any of that. And later, weeks later, we were having a conversation late one night. We worked the night shift together. And she said, you know, when I was a kid, I saw spirits all the time. And I talked to them. And I said, why didn't you ever say this before? Why didn't I know this going in? And she said, well, I was raised LDS, Latter-day Saint. And it was wicked that I was built this way. And I just never talk about it. I never say anything to anyone about it and if I had known that's what you were going to show me I would have told you I don't want to see it that I'm glad that I'm over it but the thing I find interesting is that a lot of Christians will say oh my god you're wicked for doing that but in the Bible in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians he talks about how God gives everyone a gift but no one will have all of the gifts some people will have the ability to speak in tongues. Others will have the ability to understand them. Some will have the ability to speak with the dead. Others will have the ability... There's a whole list on, of psychic list. skills that God right. could bestow upon a person. It's right in there. It's Paul's sales pitch. Right. And, I mean, there's all sorts of things in the Bible where it talks about... People having different gifts or people being um, like prophets or being right. blessed. That they're having... special people, that it's not every person on the street, but that this happens all the time, that God is right. doing that it. that there are miracles. But there's also passages in the Bible that clearly say if we decide 
you're not a prophet because what you say, then your gifts come from the devil. Yeah. yeah. And that seems to be applied to every person I've ever met. Your gifts must be coming from the devil because you're not towing the party line. Well, and, and I view those things as the descendants of a lot of the mantra of the early church in, in their attempts to proselytize the pagan cultures of Europe. And they saw the leaders, the cultural leaders of those, uh, those tribes as threats to the power of the church. Because some of those cultural leaders or religious leaders had, you know, abilities to divine or speak with God or psychic abilities. So they associated those people with the devil in order to draw away any influence they might have over their own people. Right. You had to create this idea that our God does stuff and your God does stuff and our priests have gifts and your priests have gifts, but our priests have good gifts and your priests have bad gifts. Exactly. So you need to come over here. Where the general perception amongst Western culture now is that psychic is part of human nature. Some people have a more developed sense. Some people have more access to it. But that it's part of being human. It is only within a religious context that it gets any kind of a branding of good or bad. I think that's the other downside to at least American culture and our ethnocentricity. We forget or don't know about all of the other cultures around the world that just accept psychic psychic ability and psychic perception as fact and as something that's just part of daily life. And we've, we've been so indoctrinated into something other than that realization that just the fact that we're having this conversation today might be, be in some people's mind, crazy. So it's important that we try to keep things in perspective and realize that, that our culture is not the only cultural ethic. So I think we're done talking about the process of seeing. I just wanted to share two funny anecdotes from our own past. I was teaching a friend of mine years ago about seeing, and I had done the box game with him, and we were taking the box game out into the larger world. And I was feeling rather cocky and not really thinking through my decisions. So I took a quartz crystal to the beach. For those of you a little quicker on the uptake than me, yes, you'll see where this is going in a second. So I decided to bury the quartz crystal under the tiniest bit of sand, half an inch, something like that. And I said, okay, now grasshopper, find the crystal. And he looked around and he looked around and he never found it. And at some point I said, okay, that's long enough. You know, you're going to hurt your head. Let me look for the crystal. I didn't want to stand right next to it and give away where it was. And I thought, huh, I can't find the crystal either. And I wandered around and I wandered around. I got increasingly frustrated with my inability to find this crystal. I looked bad in front of my student. I felt foolish. And I lost a good crystal. Years and years go by. I meet Oni. And I tell her this funny story of the day I took a crystal to the beach. She said, very simplistically, but isn't sand basically quartz? And I thought, and I said, well, yes, it is. And then two and two became four. And I saw, in fact, there was no way we were finding that crystal. I had put a piece of iron in a steel box. Second anecdote. This involves Goldenberg Rising. Anivaldi, this was the first time that we met them. I think this was after the infamous Shoney's dinner. Yes, this was the oh, no. Shoney's day. They 
continued their conversation with us, and somehow we decided to talk about seeing spirits and spiritual sight. Seems like we got to some pretty advanced concepts for a first meeting. So we had asked Golden Bird Rising. We had a small medicine bag of some kind uh, hanging from a mirror in our uh, full-size truck. And we said, hey, why don't you look at this? Why don't you scan it? And we proceeded to discuss the process. And I was watching physically the medicine bag and she actually moved it the tiniest bit. It began to swing very, very slowly and very gently when no one was moving. The truck was not moving. A wind was not blowing outside. But she was seeing so strongly that she did not actually receive information, if I remember correctly. She did not, quote unquote, see it. It was like her touching it with her finger. And then she was like, my head hurts. It gave her a terrible headache, as I recall, which this type of work generally does. We're at the end of this entire process. We've talked about the hows. We've talked about the whats. Let's talk about the why. Why do you want to do this? Maybe you don't. Maybe for you, you see no value. But in the way that meditation was a building block to something else, you cannot do magic if you can't clear your mind. You cannot... Learn to see if you can't clear your mind. Meditation was a building block that took you to a new set of steps, to a new set of options. Seeing and hearing, which we will talk about very briefly in a minute, is another step that leads to a whole set of steps, a whole set of choices. If you want to have a relationship with your spirit guides, your ancestors, your gods, direct seeing and hearing is not necessary. We make that plain. It is not necessary. Abundantly and indescribably helpful, even if you don't do it that well. Seeing and hearing opens an entirely new field of direction, an entirely new set of options that you don't have or don't have in the same way without it. Any thoughts on that so far? Well, I was thinking that meditation can also help you with emotional well-being, Sure. There are lots of things. When you're in a calm and centered place, you have a clearer head and you can make better decisions about things. And if you've got your intuition, that can help round out your information. Like it's a flow chart. If you have meditation, now there are nine directions that that meditation can feed into. Calmer mood, better disposition, good decision making, intuition development. And then as you develop your intuition, that opens up nine or ten or twelve additional possibilities. Each one of these things creates for you avenues that weren't open without that skill. Well, let me speak on my experience a little bit. I think for me, all my life I've wanted a spiritual existence. You know, ever since I was in the fifth grade, I was reading books about Buddhist monks. I, I've always been interested in that and wanted to have a deeper context for my life other than just the day-to-day -day grind of getting up, going to work, coming home, seeing my family, buying Christmas presents and whatnot, you know, there had to be some greater purpose to all of this. And, and that's what comes in time. And learning to see and hear was kind of like the icing on the spiritual cake. You know, I, it was exciting and fun when I first started to learn how to do it. I felt like I'd stepped into another world of understanding and perception. Um, and, and for the first time, the spiritual world really seemed real to me and that was very exciting 
but it was really the thing that brought me into a deeper understanding of where I fit in in this world and what my life is about. And and like Kvaldred has said, it's just another path on that road. So you, you can have a spiritual life, you can have a, a better relationship with God or the gods or the spirits without learning to see or hear. But it has been so invaluable for me to understand where my path was going or where my path needed to go because I had this skill. Without it, I, I would be probably years behind where I am now. And for that reason, I'm very thankful for having learned how to do it. You know, the excitement of it has kind of worn off. You know, I, I don't sit around at night trying to practice anymore, though I probably should. But I'm, I'm also to the point now where I don't have to do that in order to get what I need and in order to progress myself. Kvelder might speak about this a little bit more in depth, but to me, I could go to church or I could read the Bible or I could read the sagas or I could read the Odoo or any other mystical text and, and get some understanding out of it. But to me, it's actual direct experience with God and the spiritual world that has meaning to me. You know, the, the philosophy and the dogma is important and helps us lead our lives the way we need to lead them. But if I don't have some kind of connection to the spiritual world, I, I really feel like I would feel lost. And I, I don't know that I could live any other way now. I would agree with all of that. And I really don't know how I could live my life without having the gods and spirits and the dead not involved in my life. And not just having the, but having the capacity for direct communication. Right. The, and sometimes it seems like a very long, hard road. Okay, piggybacking on what Oni said and Evaldi said, it isn't the easy way and it's not necessary per se. But from our point of view, for the three of us, it has brought us to a completely different level of our path, of our road, an understanding that is entirely different in our view than had we not done this. And as Avaldi brought up, this is once again part of the doctrine of personal experience. There are valid points and ways of understanding through reading about something, through hearing someone else's experience. That all has a place. But if you're us, or if you're like us, personal experience cannot be replaced with anything. There is nothing that will substitute for it. Your confidence in the reality of a spirit world will be irrevocably changed, feeling confident that this is real and happening. Oni brought up a book earlier, Practical Intuition by Laura Day. Oni and I have both read this book. We like it a lot. It's Subtitle is How to Harness the Power of Your Instinct and Make It Work for You. As we said before, sensing eventually comes in tandem with seeing. Intuition really is helpful in that process as well. It's a way of saying, did I see that spirit right? Before you can ask the spirit, do you look like this? Did you say this? Did you go here? Did you do that? Your intuition becomes your way of discerning. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. One last thing. Now we need to talk about the process of hearing spirits. This is a more difficult process to convey to someone else. 
It's simpler. There's not a long step. Hearing is basically just this. You enter a meditative state as best as you can. You quiet your mind as best as you can. Starting with your spirit guides or some other trusted ally, you ask them simple questions. I would not recommend yes, no, because it's too simple to assume yes or no. But you ask them basic things, or you make basic statements, or you ask them, tell me something about you. And you listen in your mind, okay? You're listening for a voice that does not sound exactly like your own, but it may not be that different from your own. And then you say it back. Spirit, I heard X, Y, Z. Did you say X, Y, Z? It's arduous at times, and sometimes it's hard to be confident in that process. But I'll be honest, I don't know another way. This is one of those things I don't know a lot of ways to make it work. Avaldi and Oni, I want you to chime in too about your experience on this. Or it's very much like what you said. You have to be meditative. You have to be quiet. And you have to listen for the mouse across the street, as it were. Who's whispering. Who's whispering. And the more you do it, the more you work that way, you're going to hear better. And the other thing would be to keep a journal. Yeah, that's a good idea. We haven't talked about that. You could do that on seeing and hearing. Yeah, and it would be a good way of tracking your progress. I think the journal is a good idea. I did read a little passage that I had written down a long time ago. Um, I wish I'd been more disciplined in doing that, but it can definitely help you gain a sense over time of your progress. I think that's really valuable because there's going to be times when you're doing this, either seeing or hearing or, or intuition, where you're going to feel like you're not moving as fast as you think you ought to, or you just get frustrated. And if you can go back to a year ago or three years ago or just a week ago and see where your mind was then, you'll have a little better sense that you are on the road. And I would like to piggyback on that, that you can't judge your progress versus someone else's exactly. progress. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with each other. Exactly. That my skills are different from your skills and they're different from Evaldi's. Particularly, and I want to go back to this because I talked about the box game, if you have a buddy that you're working through this kind of stuff, do not judge in a comparative way oh, my buddy is going so much faster than me, so I guess we shouldn't work together because they're advanced, or I'm the fast one and my buddy is just trudging along. Look, stick it out. Yeah. You know? And, like, try to pick up on the positive points. Yeah, I, I really think that's important that you stay positive with it. Um, I know when I was learning this process with my wife that, you know, there were often times where she was frustrated because she didn't feel like she was progressing as quickly as I was. And I think in a lot of ways that became an impediment. As far as the process that I, I went through, um, it's much like you've already heard, um, I do want to emphasize two things, and that is the principles of discernment and honesty. Initially, when you're first trying to hear the mouse across the street, these aren't really that important. You're just trying to be calm and centered enough in yourself. But as you progress and you start to hear things more and more, you need to learn discernment. And by that I mean hearing voices as being different from one another or hearing spirits as different from divine powers uh, and understanding how these things are different and how you can perceive them differently. Also, it's important to remember that there are forces out there who might not want 
you don't know who they are or what they sound like. And at that point, your discernment bridges into the idea of intuition. Where honesty comes into play is honesty with yourself. And again, this is a little bit more advanced in that you need to be honest with yourself about what you believe you're hearing, especially when it comes to discussing matters of personal significance or spiritual significance. You need to have the maturity and honesty with yourself to know when you're hearing what you're hearing is actually true. For example, you know, if, if, if you're trying to gain some insight into a particular situation, say you're interested in dating a female and, and you don't know if she's perhaps the right one for you, but if you're going to just rely on your own guidance in this, if you're talking to your spirit guides or a higher power, you need to be able to step aside from your own desires in the situation and be honest enough with yourself in what you hear to know it is the truth. That's a difficult thing to do. Um, and it's really something that takes time to learn. Hear what is being said, exactly. not what you want to hear. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. It becomes a concern in any situation where you're, you are seeking guidance, but you have a preference to what that guidance is. You have a preference to how things turn out. You have to be careful that you do not assume your preference is the correct answer. That your desire does not overcome your ability to be objective. That's a good way to put it. And the other thing to do is if, say, you're not sure and, and, and you don't know that you can really set aside that, if you have um, divinatory methods you can use, that that can definitely help. Or if you're not skilled at divining, Go see someone who is. We're not talking about a simple thing. Changing your job, getting out of a relationship, some major issue. Double check that with divination, with talking to a different spirit. If their information comes back in complete opposition or totally different to your information, that might be a reason to seek a third source and look at two out of three, you know, in confirmation. You're not continuing to say go from different divinatory methods to get the answer you want. So you are not answer shopping. Correct. You are not trying to find a spirit that will tell you what you want to hear or a card reading that will tell you what you want to hear. You are seeking actual guidance and doing your best to tamp down your own expectation and desire of a particular outcome. Right. Yes, and I would have to say that if you want to go answer shopping and that you should be aware that you're doing it mm -hmm. and accept the responsibility of the consequence. That's your personal responsibility and that's your choice and that's where it begins and ends. You have to bear the responsibility for that choice. People in Western culture have a tendency to blame some external factor for a choice they made. And we're saying that that's not legitimate, nor is it appropriate, nor does it really pass muster with anyone, spiritually or physically. I think that's an important point, very much so. That, my friends, is spiritual sight or psychic sight, and hearing is a little added bonus track. To mm -hmm. some extent. Sure, we did talk about sensing, we talked about intuition. It's the ESP montage. <laughs> it's a mashup. We'll talk about some of these issues again, but I think as far as sight and hearing goes, this is all I have to say. 
I want to thank Evaldi and Oni for joining me on this topic. I did not feel up to the task of doing it by myself. Thanks for helping me with this. And I want to say on behalf of Evaldi and I, you are always very welcome.